Amen. You dads are awesome. Happy Father's Day. Last week I shared with you that moment when our oldest had been born and, and the time came for him to go home. And we have that picture in his baby book. It's, it's a little faded. I mean, it is 28 years old. I know what you're thinking. Yes, we were three. Yeah. But Anne-Marie is in the wheelchair. She's about to be rolled down to be discharged, and she's holding our son, and I'm standing there beside her, and I look exhausted. I was exhausted. She was exhausted. But the thing that I remember most is I was petrified. And it really became, well, it was very real when we got down to the entrance of the hospital, and and I had pulled up our, our 82... Uh, Garfield Orange Toyota Tercel, and it was parked there in the drive-thru in front of the hospital, and I helped Anne-Marie get into the passenger seat, and I took our son and put him into the car seat and buckled him. And that moment, I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? Not only am I responsible for providing for him physically, taking care of the clothes and the food and, and the education, but the responsibility of, of raising him in Jesus, it was, it was overwhelming. I remember when we got home and, and we were settled into our, our little tiny apartment, I was going through the, the paperwork that they give you after you've been in the hospital, you know, the discharge instructions. And I looked through it several times and there were no instructions. There were no instructions. There was no instruction manual. I was hoping that there would be a list, a list where you could go down and say, do this, do this, and you just check it off as you do it. And lists are helpful for me because I can, I can assess how I'm doing. I can assess how I'm spending my time. I can look at the list and say, you know, you really shouldn't spend that much time on this part of his development. This is a little more important, and I could move it up the list. And 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 focus on that, but there is no instruction manual. You know it because you've seen those kids in the store and you wish you could give the parents an instruction manual. But there isn't one. The Bible is close. The Bible doesn't provide us a checklist. We We can't just pull out the Bible and go down a list checking it off of skills to teach, character traits to 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 give, to to transmit to our children. Um, they're there, the principles are there, but not a neat, neat list gathered for us. The Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, has a lot of those passages where you can take, you can glean principles and apply in your, your home. And there are a few New Testament passages that, are, that, that teach parenting principles. And, and last week we spent the, the morning looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Verses 4 through 9, the, the Shema, there's a wealth of information. And you want to raise your children to love God, be in the Word with them all the time, right? Such an important text. By the way, Deuteronomy is such an important book that, that is quoted throughout the Scriptures. New Testament authors take the book of Deuteronomy and they, they give it back to us in pieces. The, it's like the uh, sports centers, the highlights from Deuteronomy, Gives it right back to us. And probably the, the text in Scripture that, that gives us the clearest or the closest to a checklist would be Ephesians chapter 6. If you would go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, 
I'll put the text up on the screen as well, but I do want you to have your Bible open because we'll move off of the slide and I'll refer back to the passage and I want you to be able to look down in your lap and, and see the, the passage again once we've, we've moved on. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and I'll read from the New American Standard Bible. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Does that sound familiar to you? We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you see Paul is quoting from there. But of course, it's also quoting, quoting from the fifth commandment, right? You, you see all of that in this one text in Ephesians. By the way, I think everybody knows this passage. Uh, the parents know the first three verses, especially that part in verse 2, honor your father and mother. Oh, even better, children, obey your parents and the Lord. I love that verse. I love to share that verse with my kids. I love to take them there in the the word of God. Children, obey your parents. It's wonderful. But then our kids have read the passage too. And they recognize verse 4 starts with, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, My kids have reminded me of that verse a few times, teasing them or so forth. And they'll say, Dad. Oh, by the way, just that part. Um, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I actually have two sermons, just two separate sermons on this one passage. There's part one and part two. And I still don't cover all of the ways that we dads provoke our kids to anger. We have, dads kind of have a gift in that area, unfortunately, as God works on us. But Ephesians chapter six, these verses one through four, you know, Paul is, is a challenge to understand at times, but in this passage, he's really clear. And when it comes to parenting, he's, he's really giving us these phases of childhood development or phases in raising our children in Christ. Now, let me just insert a parenthetical here. Some of you sitting here thinking, do you know how long it has been since I have had a child in my home? Uh, they are grown and they have their own children or I have great-grandchildren that are little. Well, don't check out, don't tune out, because it is this message is for everybody. It's for, for those who have little ones at home. It's for those who have grandchildren who are little ones. It is for the single who never had a child, because this the principles here apply to all of us. So don't check out. Stick with me, okay? So there are these, these three phases of development of children in faith. And, and that's really what the series is about, is, is developing families of faith. The first phase, phase one, is the discipline and training phase. And then, and then Paul talks about phase two, which is the catechism phase. Now, it, some of you, as soon as I said the catechism phase, you perked up. You said, wait a minute, I, am I in an Adventist church and we're talking about a catechism? Well, bear with me, Okay. Um, by the way, the Roman Catholic Church is not the only one that has a catechism. The Presbyterians have a catechism. Uh, the Anglican Church has a catechism. Uh, there are some Pentecostal churches that have a catechism. Uh, there are Baptist churches that have a catechism. So what is a, a catechism? It is a book that is designed to instruct theological ideas 
a knowledge of Scripture, and it's laid out in a format where it asks a question and then it answers the question. So the word may make you nervous, catechism, but don't get nervous because what it's describing is a very helpful tool, okay? So phase two is the catechism phase, and phase three is where we begin discipleship um, of with our, with our children, discipleship. So let's look at each of these three phases, and, and once we've covered the three phases, I'm done, and I'll sit down, and, and you can go to lunch, okay? So phase one is... The bring them up in discipline and instruction. So look back at the text, Ephesians chapter 6, and skip down to verse 4. And again, for now, we're going to skip that first phrase, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Um, kids, if you think we need to cover that another day, come to me, we'll work it out, right? But the second part of the text, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, the first part of that last phrase, bring them up, we need to understand that the, the word that Paul uses here is a word that describes nourishing, nourishing up to maturity. That's actually the word that Paul uses there. Nourish them up to maturity. It is a, it is a process. Bring them up in a process. I've shared with you about my, my neighbor, Joe. Joe called us up one day, and he told us that his COPD had developed, and, and he wasn't able to garden. He had this beautiful garden spot in his backyard. His backyard butts up to the, the side of our house, and he said it would break his heart. He would look out his kitchen window. He would see his garden spot, and, and it was growing with weeds and grass, and he had to have the yard guy mow it, and it broke his heart that there wasn't produce growing there. So he asked me if if we would be interested in, in growing a garden in his spot. And the city slicker, let me just throw that in, says, I'd love to do that. Because in my head, I had this picture of walking out there in just a spare moment of the day, walking in the garden and filling basket after basket with cucumbers and zucchini and okra and uh, okra and uh, tomatoes and okra. And... He gave me a, a list, a shopping list, and I, I was excited when I first started going down the list because it was all the seeds that I needed to buy. And so I went to, to um, Fletcher um, Hardware Store, and I didn't buy those packets of seeds that you get at Lowe's. Who knows how long they've been there. So I went to Fletcher, um, I keep wanting to say feed and seed, but there you just get bluegrass today. But this was the hardware store right next to the railroad tracks. I went in and they sell the seeds by the bulk, right? You put the scoop in and you put it in a paper bag and you write on the paper bag what it is. And, and he even told me how many ounces of each of the seeds to get. By the way, you don't want three ounces of okra seeds. That feeds the world. But So then at the bottom of the list, he had other things. He had lime, he had fertilizer, I forgot all that was on there. And I thought, well, that's cute. And I went on, and then I got this stuff, and I told him I was ready. And he pulled out this tiller. And it's the kind of tiller that you squeeze the... Once it's running, it's, you know, it's gas-powered. It's huge. You, you squeeze the handle, and then it jerks you across the yard. It, it was not fun. It was not fun. In fact, after it was tilled, I couldn't see the... The garden. I went. I went back to my house and laid down. I was hurting. Every muscle in my body was hurting. So 
later, I think it's the, once the soreness left my body, I put the strings out, I made the, the lines very straight, I planted the seeds, and I waited, and I waited. I waited for everything to sprout. And you know what sprouted? Right away. Weeds. And I realized that there were going to be a few more steps before I just walk out and harvest. I had to get out there and, and pull up the, the weeds. Well, I don't say this because I'm proud, but I, I gave up. I just surrendered that garden and, and I gave up. What I realized is that I probably didn't want to do a garden again. <laughs> so you can just bring your excess produce in the fall, the end of the summer. But what I realized is that when you garden, you have to do it with intentionality. You just don't throw the seeds into the dirt. You have to prepare the dirt. And then once the seeds are in the dirt, you, you don't just water them. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And, and I realized is that you need to know what you've got. And you have to at the same time know what you want. Does that make sense? And, and it's the same with raising children to love the Lord, is you have to know what you're working with, and you have to know where you're going with them. You have to be intentional. you got to think about it all the time. Because it just doesn't happen while you're sitting on the sofa, watching TV. The garden didn't get weeded. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not very good at that. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of these people that's really talented in looking at point A and figuring out how to get down to point J, you know, filling, f- figuring out all of the steps that I need to take. Well, you know what? That's okay. But don't use that as an excuse. When I was a kid, my dad was, um, was very mechanical. He worked at the newspaper, um, but he was very mechanical. Every free moment he was working on his car or a car, a junker car, and, and I would stand there and watch. He never taught me how to do anything. I would just watch, and I realized as an adult that I needed to be able to do some basic repairs on my car. I had no idea how to do it. I couldn't change my own oil. wasn't quite sure which was the dipstick for the oil and which was the transmission fluid. And so what I did is I bought the manual that goes with the make and model of my car. And I just looked through it, and it's like, Oh, is that what a camshaft is? I've heard that term, but I had no idea what it was. So then when I started having problems with my car, like a a major leak around my valve cover gasket, do you know what I did? YouTube. And and you know what? I fixed it. Now, no one taught me that when I was tightening the valve cover that I needed to have a special wrench because if you over-tighten it, what happens? Bolts pop off. Only one broke. Just, and it didn't leak after that, so we're good. But I learned how to do that. I learned how to change the brake pads on my car, even the rotors on the car. I can do now. I didn't start off knowing how to do that. But what did I do? I saw the problem. I researched it. I figured it out. The American way. Right? So if you feel like it's overwhelming, just take it. Research it. Bite it off. And you can do it. And make one change. One change. And it has this ripple effects. Oh, by the way, I went from gardening to, to mechanics. And can I go back to uh, flora again? Um, bring them up means to train them. It means to nurture them. Uh, we have a clematis at our house between our garage doors. And in the spring when it comes up, it's just, um, it's got these long um, spindly things. And what do I have to do? What? What, Max? 
tendrils. I have to point those tendrils to the trellis that's behind it. And at first, those tendrils don't know what to do. They want to go forward, and I slow. I keep going back, and I keep redirecting those tendrils until now it's all the way up to the top of the trellis. Now, occasionally, I'll have one that gets a mind of its own, and it starts growing off towards the driveway. I don't know what it's thinking, but I point it back to the trellis. It's the same way with our kids. It's the same way with our kids, redirecting them. By the way, Sister White talks about with our children and, and their will, she, she talks about bend, gently bending the will. Right? So that's what we're talking about. So Paul says, bring them up. And then he uses the word discipline. Um, by the way, King James uses the word, nur- verse, the word nurture instead of discipline, which is probably helpful because when we think of discipline, well, when I, if I ask the kids, when I say the word discipline, what do you think of? They think of the corrective measures, right? But but Paul, or yeah, Paul is using the the term nurture, and it's it's the kind of of discipline that, that we don't normally think of. Well, it is that kind of discipline, but it's it's not just corrective; it is also proactive. So it's not just time out. It's not just grounding. It's not just a a spanking done in love, not anger at times. Is a last resort. It's not just all of those, but it's proactive education or training. The, the whole training and education of children is wrapped up into that. Now listen, we as parents, I've been guilty, we, we think that our primary objective as parents, as we're raising children, as grandparents, is to correct bad behavior. We, we think of parenting as, as correcting bad behavior, but it's more than that. It is, it is more than the correction. It is cultivation of the mind and the morals. And you don't do that on the tail end of bad behavior. You, you do the instruction of the morals and the character on the front end of bad behavior. And the idea is when that foundation is le- um, laid, then the bad behavior is less likely to appear. Now, will it still appear? Well, as long as your child is a human being, it will the side of heaven, right? So, let me add this as we're talking about discipline. Let, we need to expect obedience from our children. So, besides Max, everybody else hear me? We need to expect obedience from our children. And, and we're not only looking for outward behavior, right? There was a phrase that we used in our home when our kids were little, and that is, obedience is right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Let that sink in. It's not just crossing the T, dotting the I, doing what I was told, but it is doing it and doing it right away. Uh, Not, I'll get to it whenever, I'll clean my room next February. It's right away, and it's with a happy heart. So let me give you an illustration, and, and some of you have heard this before, but anytime I humiliate myself, you enjoy it. So um, when I was two or three, I had done something, which is not surprising. I was the kind of kid, you drew the line in the sand and said, don't cross it, and I would step over and say, now what? You know, just to see what would happen. So I, I had done something, and my mother was, was addressing this conservatively. It did not involve a willow tree switch this time. But she picked me up, and she put me in one of those child-sized chairs. 
She sat me down and she turned around and she said, don't get out of that chair until I tell you. And she turned around to walk away and I stood up. I didn't go anywhere. I just stood up. And she looked over her shoulder, saw me standing. So she picked me up and she put me back. Oh, I forgot a part. (laughs) She went to the kitchen and she grabbed a wooden cooking spoon. Now, this spoon had been retired from cooking. The spoon was dedicated to me. (laughs) It visited my siblings occasionally, but it was mainly dedicated to me. So she came over and she, she just, she popped me in the back of the thigh with that wooden spoon and she put me back in the chair. She says, I'll let you know when you can get up. She turned around, walked away, and I stood up. So repeat the process, wooden spoon, back of the thigh, repeat that process 10 times. Total of 11 times that woman, that gracious, loving mother, popped me in the back of the thigh, put me in the chair. That after the 11th time, I'm sitting in the chair, sniveling from crying so hard, and I said, on the outside, I'm sitting down, but on the inside, I'm standing up. Now, I hope that mom is not listening or watching this sermon because I want to add it this. I stayed in the chair after that. and She thought that she was victorious. But the winner was not mom. I was still the winner. Why? It wasn't because... I mean, she didn't win because she had outward demonstration of obedience. My heart was still in rebellion, right? So obedience is right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. And and then Paul transitions from discipline. He's talking about instruction. And the word that Paul uses here means to put in the mind. I like that. It's not lecturing. Because when you lecture a child, the, the kid hears nothing. They hear blah, 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 blah. It's like the, the far side cartoon where uh, the, the human is talking to a dog and, and in the, the bubble, it, all the dog hears is blah, 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 spot, blah, 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 spot. They, they don't hear you when you lecture. So what he's talking about is putting it into the mind. How do you do that? How do you put God's things into the mind of your child? Well, you teach them from the scriptures. You take everyday object lessons, everyday lessons you want to communicate, and you do it with the Word of God. Take them to the Word, okay? And, and you have them memorize Scripture as you memorize Scripture with them. Get CDs that, that teach Scripture memorization songs. So they're driving down the road and they're singing songs. Or when brother and sister have conflict, one of them will start singing, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right? Because they've been listening to the song, right? Read character building stories together. See, the idea of what we're doing, and let me speak to those who still have little ones at home. See, this is the way parenting ideally is to work. We start with the mom and dad and grandparents and aunts and uncles and the body of Christ um, exhorting, exerting, exerting, um, extrinsic motivation on the child, right? So we are exerting control over the will of the child. We're telling them when to eat, when to sleep, what to wear. We dress them, right? But as they grow, the extrinsic control lessens. So we get to the point where preschool age, we're not dressing them anymore, I hope. What we're doing instead is laying out two or three outfits and say, what would you like to wear today? We're still giving, limiting their choices to three, for example, but we're giving them a little more freedom. 
by the time they're 18, we're hoping that they can pick out their own clothes, right? So we're not laying those out. But see, what happens in, in modern-day parenting is we don't exert the extrinsic exterior control when they're little. Have you seen this? Uh, little ones running around like banshees with no restraint. By the way, I just saw an article yesterday about a, a five-year-old that was in a, at a wedding reception in a community center, and there was a piece of art there that was $132,000. And the, the kid was unsupervised. He pulled on it. It fell. It broke. And the parents are upset because they got a bill for 132000 A five-year-old needs extrinsic control. Not to be unsupervised while mom and dad have their back and the kid is running around with all of this artwork all around. They need to have a hand, right? But what we're doing is not no extrinsic control. Let them live and be wild. And then when they become teenagers and, and now the damage that they're doing is serious, right? The risks that they're taking are serious. That's when we freak out and we panic and we try to seize control, right? We got it backwards. We got it backwards. We need to have the extrinsic control when they're young, and as they grow, release that control so when they are ready to fledge, they're ready to fledge, right? Okay. All right. By the way, I mentioned when we began Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. It borrows from Deuteronomy. It borrows from Deuteronomy chapter 5. It borrows from the fifth commandment, right? To... Have you ever, the phrase there, have you ever, has it ever really stood out to you where it says, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth? Have you ever thought about where he's coming from on that? Where God is coming from, by the way. God gave those words in the fifth commandment. What is he saying? I've, oftentimes, I approach that, that phrase thinking about it this way. If you honor me, you will have a long and prosperous life. If you honor me, you will have a long and prosperous life. Or to put it into the negative, if you don't do what I say, I help bring you into the world, I'll take you out. Right? But that's not what he's saying at all. That's not the intent of what God is saying. The commandment wasn't given so much for the individual child as it was given for the community. Now bear with me. You see, God designed the family to disciple children and to ensure the faithfulness and the perpetuation of the community of faith throughout the ages. So, in other words, God says to us through the fifth commandment, if we could reword it, rephrase it, he would say this, if you want to continue to exist as the people of God in the middle of a pagan land, by the way, does that describe us? The people of God in the middle of a pagan land? Absolutely. So if you want to continue to exist as a people of God in the middle of a pagan land to protect your family, to prosper your family, to grow your family, then you will have to do so by training and discipling your children. If you don't train and disciple your children, we ain't going to make it. Because the culture is too influential. You're not going to be able to fight against it. So the first phrase, the first phase is discipline and instruction. The f- second phase is catechism. Now we don't know a lot about catechisms in the, the Adventist Church. I alluded that, to that earlier, but the, the gist is this. It is a, a tool to teach theology through a series of questions and answers. And children learn 
through reading and they, they memorize these questions and, and the answers. And what it teaches, why these, these books are so helpful is they don't just teach the what. They teach the why. Now, I'm going to risk, well, this is like every Sabbath, but I'm going to risk stepping on toes, okay? I'm an outsider. Well, I can't say I'm an outsider anymore because I've been one of y'all for 28 years. I'm an adult convert, okay? So I have an advantage in some ways that there have been times when I'm like the outsider looking in. Just scoping you people out, right? And I recognize things that we do that are cultural, right? Aren't biblical. They're just cultural. Um, by the way, I remember the first time someone said, hey, we're having haystacks for lunch. And I said, oh, those little Asian noodle things with butterscotch melted on top, those are good, but I can't see making a meal out of that, right? But one of the things that I have noticed from the outside, looking in and, and, and now being assimilated, is that we as a denomination, we've done a fantastic job of doing the what, answering the what. I remember my very first district, I noticed that we had, we had little kids at church and we had grandparents in church. But we didn't have my generation in church. Grandparents were raising kids. And as I was visiting the, their parents, the little kids' parents, the ones who weren't at church, I was visiting with them and they were, you know, I was just non-threatening, hi, I'm just the new pastor, I'd like to get to know you. The questions that they would ask me, they would ask me questions like, is it okay to ride my horse on the Sabbath? Is it okay for me to go to the beach on Sabbath? See, they had been taught the what. They had been taught principle, but they had never been explained why. They had never been given application. How do I apply the, the what to my, my life? And, and I'm afraid... And, and, I think there's a whole generation out sitting out there in the congregation today that understand exactly what I'm talking about. Rules without explanation. This is the rule, just do it, right? But we do it today, too. We still do it. Despite, despite how we think we would have learned, despite our own luggage, our own baggage, we still are doing the same thing. Let me give you an example. And let me be sensitive Okay, as I do this, because this was the only example I could think of, so I'll tiptoe. Well, we teach that physical intimacy is reserved for marriage. And we say, if you don't, then you're going to have children before you expect to, right? Or if, if you have physical intimacy before marriage, then you risk disease. That's the what. That's not the, the why. I mean... That's not what the Seventh Commandment is about. Do we teach our children about the sanctity of marriage? Do we teach our children that marriage is holy? It is holy. It is not a thing for a moment or a time. It is not something for happiness. It's for sanctification. It's for God's glory. Do we, do we teach our kids that we are to value the members of the opposite gender? Do we, do we teach them what the Bible says about divorce? Do we teach them that, that God gives two reasons for divorce and, and remarriage? And do we explain why he does that? Uh, the benefit to the marriage, the benefit to the family. Do we, do we explain how God's plan is, is perfect and how, how in some countries we easily recognize the polygamy that's going on with you know, ten wives, but here in Western culture we, we do ours in serial, right? 
You see, the what isn't a significant motivator. The what doesn't motivate us. When we don't know the why or when we, or when we know the wrong why, we, we do a better job at preventing or circumventing the unplanned. But too many of our children do not really know what we believe, and they don't know why. They don't know why. Couple that with the fact that all of us are naturally pulled towards sin. All of us. We're pulled towards sin, and, and that we live in a culture that is throwing everything at us. It glorifies and justifies and promotes sin. And do you see the dilemma that we're in? you see it? Listen, we can't surrender to the culture. We can't throw up our hands and say it's too strong. We can't fight against it. We can't just surrender to our kids to... to which God was it? The heathen God? Moloch. Sacrifice our kids to Moloch. Put them on the, the burning hot idol Moloch. We can't surrender. We need to prepare our kids to be countercultural. They need the what and they need the why. By the way, uh, I mentioned that we don't know a lot about catechism. We do have a catechism. We have a really good catechism, but I, I think most of us don't have a copy of it. Uh, anybody have any idea what it is? Yeah. Bible readings for the home circle is the full name. And if you don't have a copy, go to Amazon, Google it. You can get a copy cheap. It'll be used. Go to a Go to a yard sale in Fletcher. If they're Adventists, they've got a copy. So get it and and incorporate it into what you're doing as a family. By the way, I also heard 28 Fundamentals. It's an outline of our beliefs, but it it doesn't just give the headlines. Uh, It it unpacks it for you, so go through that. Oh, yeah, and thank you, I forgot. They have it for children. So you take the deep theological grown-up ideas, and they, they boil it down and they make it so I can understand it. So get your kids into the Word. Go through the questions and the answers so they understand the what and the why. So phase two is catechism, and then phase three is discipleship. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Let's imagine for just a moment, imagine hard, that I want to teach you a piece of music. I want to teach you the prelude from box cello suite number one. I'm going to teach you. That's an appropriate response, right? Okay. So it is funny. Um, listen to this. She's going to start here in a second. Listen to this. speak to the, like deep within by the way I like I like to be driving down the road while others are blasting hip hop out the stereos 
crank that up so you just it just rumbles in you. But if I'm telling you that I'm going to teach you cello suite number one, what's your first thought? I'm going to hand you a cello and a bow and say, play it, and you're going to laugh, right? So if I were to get somebody who is really gifted, if I'm going to get James Smith or um, I'm going to get Nick, I'm going to get, have you guys teach, teach us, <laughs> teach us to play like that, I can guarantee you they're not going to hand you a cello and a bow and say, okay, this is how you do it. Hit it. Here's the music, right? What are they going to do? Well, at, at the most, they're going to teach us some theory. At the least, they're going to teach us how to read the music, right? So we can recognize all of the, the notes on the, the page, right? But listen, this is exactly the kind of leap that we often take with our kids. We try to teach them how to behave like Christians before we teach them how to believe like Christians. There's a huge learning curve. We're just skipping a bunch of stuff. We try to walk them through the process of choosing a college before we've given them a basic understanding of what the Bible has to say about education. What's the true purpose for education? You know, I would rather, I would rather my kids not know how to read. I would rather my kids not be able to add the fingers, you know, fingers on their hands, but know God. The object of true education is the restoration of the image of Christ on the soul. That's why we do it. But we talk to them. We talk to them about the importance of sharing their faith with unbelievers many times without, before they even have a firm grasp of what the gospel is even about. You know, a lot has been written about discipling our kids, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. If you want to know... Uh, one huge reference is Kids in Discipleship, an excellent ministry uh, that has practical ways that you can disciple your kids. If you want to know more information, talk to me, talk to Anne-Marie. Just let me know. But, but I do want to share this with those of you who have children in school. And I know that I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but listen, discipling your children is primarily your responsibility. It's not the, the chaplains at the academies, although they are, are godly people. It's not their responsibility. Uh, it's not the Sabbath school teacher's responsibility to teach your kids to disciple your kids. It's not their primary responsibility. It's not even mine or Pastor David's responsibility. We are our function, from chaplain to, to Bible teacher to, to Sabbath school teachers to, to pastors, our our role is supplementary to what you are doing within your homes when it comes to discipling your children. It's your responsibility. Discipling your children is hard enough in this culture. It is hard enough. Because everything that you are trying to do, there is a cohesive movement by the enemy to undo it. By the way, if you don't realize that raising your children and your grandchildren is a spiritual battle, you need to, to smell some ammonia and wake up because you are under attack. There is an enemy who wants to destroy you. So don't be a pawn in all of that. Wake up and pray. Pray for your kids. But listen, it's hard enough to fight the culture. But if your children are in an educational system that is not part of your team, 
if you're depending upon the state to, to educate your kids, you have to make a change. Not you, you maybe need to change. You have to make a change if the state is educating your kids. If you're sitting here in the sanctuary this morning or you're listening to the radio later, know this. Any educational system that denies the existence, the preeminence, and primacy of God is in violation. It is distracting for or detracting from rather than contributing to the discipleship process. Your kids need to be in our schools, Christian schools, Adventist schools, where the team is working together with your vision, your goals, not depending upon the state to do the job for you. Uh, a, a system that has a totally different worldview, um, a system that has a totally different understanding of how we came to be and what our purpose is, and everything that is done is done with the intention of influencing your child to the worldview, their worldview. Now let me just pause and say that there are wonderful Christian teachers, faithful Christians, working in public schools that are doing their best. They are pushing against it, pushing against it. I praise the Lord for them. They're missionaries. But don't ever think of your kids as being missionaries. Don't send a six-year-old into the government system and say, little Timmy, you're going to be a missionary for me today. They can't handle it. It is too big of a battle. Too big of a battle. They need to be where they're receiving the worldview, belief system that you believe in. But listen, even if your kids are in a Christian school, it's still your responsibility to disciple them. Is that clear? We have fantastic schools all around us. Now someone may be sitting here, a single mom with multiple kids thinking, do you know how hard it is to make it and you're putting the guilt on me to to pay tuition someplace? when I can put them in public school and feed them. Listen, if that's where you are, you come to me. You come to me, and we will see to it that you have a way. Okay? It is that important. Don't just use it as an excuse. So let me finish. Remember last week I left you with homework? I I gave you three assignments last week. Well, I hit you hard today, so I'm giving you one assignment. And you don't have a study guide, so you got to write it down. So, because I know you, because you'll forget it before you get dessert, that potluck. Because you like, you're like I am. So write it down. What I want you to do is to sit down with your spouse, whether you're raising kids in your home right now or your grandparents, and I want you to write down your expectations concerning the discipline, the discipleship of your children. That's the proactive and the corrective. I want you to write down what your expectations are. You're doing this individually. Writing down what your expectations are for the discipleship of your children. That's part A. There's still one. It's just one assignment. Part A. Part B is once you have your list done, I want you to compare your lists. I want you to contrast your lists. I want you to synthesize your list. I want you to look, and I want you to look at the Word of God, and you determine what are the non-negotiables. What are the things that we're not willing to give up that we are definitely going to do, we have to do, as parents discipling our children? Write those down. Circle those. Highlight those. Those are it. That's the bottom line. And listen, if your kids are grown, pray for them. Pray for them. And pray for your grandchildren. 
And, and again, that idea of grandparents, my role is to spoil my grandkids, that is from the devil. And it's not your job to spoil your grandkids. Your job is to support your kids raising your grandkids. And you do it by your influence, you do it by your prayers, but you encourage them. You, you're, like, you're like Aaron and Ur, hold their arms up when they're weary. But pray for them, pray for your grandchildren, ask your adult children how you as grandparents can support them in discipling your grandchildren. What can I do? What can I do different? Am I, am I too hands-on? Am I not helping out enough? What can, what can we do? And finally, I know that, that some of you, you're not parents at all. And you know what that means? It means two things. You have more time and you have more sanity. (laughs) So use those gifts, people. Use those gifts and pray for the families of this church. Be prayer warriors for these families. Get on your knees and pray for the families. Pray for these little ones that you see coming up. Pray for our big ones who are going off to college. By the way, our, our colleges aren't safe. So everything you see in the public schools, you see there. So pray for them there. Pray for them. It's, there's warfare again going on. So pray for them. And then I want you, after you, after you pray, for, pray for the families, pray for the kids, you adults without, without kids, ask those families, how can I support you? How can I support you? You know, there was a... Several years ago, a presidential election where one of the candidates wrote, well, she wrote a book. Oh, I think I just gave it away. Um, and it was, it, it takes a village, right? By the way, the, the government being your village to raise your kids, bad idea. But when it's the body of Christ, it's the village, it's a great idea. Working together. Let's bow our heads together. Our gracious Father, I thank you for the calling that you have placed on these mothers and fathers that are here. Father, it seems like an impossible task, and I would say that it is impossible. It is impossible for any dad, any mom, to disciple their kids into Jesus without Jesus. But in Christ, all things are possible. You have given us the gift of the Comforter. You have given us the the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who loves us, the, the Spirit who intercedes for us, the Spirit who hears our prayers and presents them before the throne of God. The Spirit that convicts us of sin, it convicts us of where we are missing the mark, and the Spirit, the Spirit who leads us to repentance, the Spirit who fills us with all power. That's what I'm praying, Father, for every family here that you would fill each family with your Holy Spirit, empowering them as they raise their children for the kingdom. So on that day, each parent could be standing there, standing there, surrounded by their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, to generations, standing there with their tribe, presenting them to you. Praise be to God. And Father, I know, be realistic. We can still do all everything right. And you've blessed our kids with free will. You've blessed us with free will. So there are no guarantees. But how much better to provide our kids with all the tools so they have everything they need to choose Christ and to not give them to them. So bless these families, Father. Bless them. Encourage them. In Christ's name I pray.